Paz IM Radio with your co-hosts Robert Brining and Aaron Laxton. We go around the world and across the United States. Join in the conversation by calling in to 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. This week, we have your HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. I hope you're ready for season two because it starts now. Hello, everyone. It is the 5th of February, 2017. Man, I tell you what, this uh, we're quickly approaching the end of, well, beginning of spring, and summer's going to be here before you know it. This is Aaron Laxon alongside Robert Brining. How are you doing, Robert? I'm doing well. It's nice and cold here in Philly. I don't know why you're talking about spring. <laughs> well, well, that's probably because it is above 50 here at St. Louis. It's getting warmer kind of uh, phase of the year, and, uh, you know, Went out this morning, went for like a two and a half mile walk, and took the dog to get a bath. So I feel springy. Oh, okay. I guess so. <laughs> We're getting there. At least there's no snow on the ground. That's the most important thing. At least not here in Philly. But you so know, how, how was I, your uh, weekend? You know, it has been so crazy uh, between. You know, grad school weekends tend to be homework and struggling settled into my house. Uh, but yeah, you know, productive. And uh, how about your weekend? Um, it's been um pretty lazy. <laughs> you know, working all weekend up so early, I kind of tend to sleep in a little bit on the weekends. But uh, yesterday, I was just kind of working on getting the shows posted, guests for February and everything like that, and getting it all situated and making sure everything was ready to go. Changed a couple things on the website. You know, the last week we launched uh, Pause IM Community Board where people can go on and post their story or ask questions, uh, talk about their social media campaigns to get other people involved. Now, it's just a great place to go and share. Kind of windy over there, aren't you? It is. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I am out so it's, and it's, about. I uh, the, the joys about, of being right? on, on, yeah, the joys of being on TV uh, and not stationary. So I do apologize about that. Um, you know, it's just the joys of uh, you know living with HIV these days. Like we're all going to go and and doing something. So um, bear with me on that one. <laughs> so I know last week you were talking about moving and all that. How's that going for you this week? Your first week in the house. You know, it's going well. We're starting to kind of run this things here, and I uh, don't have all the boxes unpacked yet. Although I have to tell you, the exciting part of my week for early. So I think Robert, you can kind of relate to this. I get up about for four o'clock. I'm gonna get up a little bit and. Uh, so I have to use my cell phone as a light because I don't want to wake up Philip. And, you know, that just gets annoying. Um, do they have Sam's Club up in Philly? Yes. Of course. Okay. Yes. So, so Sam's Club, God bless America, for $15.99, they have wild LED lights. They have the remote control. So I got those, and I put three under the bed. And then two in the closet. These light up. The colors they have are white, red, green, or blue. You can change the color on them. Um, and you can change the intensity. So now when we go up super early, I can just hit the remote on lights and kind of see where I'm going. I can see what clothes I'm getting out of the closet so I don't look as homeless as what I typically do. 
It's kind of like walking down uh, the dial of the airport, of the airplane. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think, oh, my God, is this what my life has become? I'm excited about domestic stuff. (laughs) That's funny. I should probably do that, too. I'm sure my partner would appreciate that when I get up in the morning instead of flicking the light on. But I'm I'm usually good at that because I set my clothes out in the kitchen area, you know, or in the dining room, you know what I mean? And get dressed out in the dining room. So I, I usually don't make too much noise in the morning. I mean, at least I don't think. Yeah. So, but. Have you ever had you know, one of those mornings where you're like stumbling around you like stub your toe and like everything's going uh-huh. on and you're like, <laughs> everyone in the house is going to wake up when that happens. Oh my God. I had one of those Here moments probably about six months ago and I was getting up, I went into the closet, and I came back out to get dressed, and I just full force walked right into the bedpost. And it was so oh. loud. I thought I, broke my, I thought I broke my toe. You know what I mean? It was, and I knew they would do nothing but tape it, so I just basically taped it together. But, yeah, for like two weeks, I had a toe that was a little bigger than normal and, and bruised. <laughs> but I well, screamed too really loud, so I'm sure my, my neighbors heard us as well. Go to Sam's Club, get the lights. I promise you, it's the best fifteen dollars you're gonna spend, um, and it will. See, I don't put my clothes out, so maybe I need to try doing that. It maybe help me be better coordinated in the morning. But what mm-hmm. I've been doing this week is I get up super early, and normally I would go to the office. So I'm that guy at the office at like four thirty, five o'clock. Get a lot done, <laughs> but. Yeah, I'm sure. This week I've been staying home, doing homework. Um, we have cable for the first time in five years. So, you know, I've been able to watch like CNN, some of all that fake news. A little, a little Trump joke there for you. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I watch CNN a lot as well. I'm a big fan of Anderson Cooper, so... Oh, me too. I like the silver daddy going on but I think, there. Uh, the, the silver fox is what they call them. But I kind I feel like I grew up with him because when I was in like seventh and eighth grade, we had a television in our in our schools and they were, it was, there was a channel we got every morning and it was called Channel One. And he was one of the reporters, him and Lisa Ling were like these, you know, they were nobodies then. They were just starting their careers and they were on this, you know, school channel and they went to all these different places and did all these amazing stories and stuff about, you know, what's going on in the world and and the wars and things like that in the Middle East. And it was very interesting. And I just always felt like, you know, he was my news source. So to to see him now growing up and, you know, doing all that, it's it's awesome. So I kind of feel like devoted I have to watch him so I, I guess we need to start like a, a, a new statement like what happened this week that freaked you out regarding Trump has there been anything this week <laughs> that just like you like looked at the news and you're like oh, what the hell is he doing now oh that could be the name of the segment what the hell is he doing now that's it. We'll have to record a new little jingle for it. <laughs> oh, I'm 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 gonna get on it. What the hell is he doing now? So what is he doing this week? It's just like have you scratching your head and like throwing stuff at the T V. Anything? Um, I have really I've been trying to ignore him <laughs> this week. Yeah. Um there's been you know, I feel like there's always something. You know what I mean? Um, it's just, it's constantly one thing after another that I can't even keep my head like straight on one topic because there's always another thing popping up that he's doing, but what has ticked you off? Tell me, please. Well, so one of the more, it's kind of comical. So this week, um, Kellyanne Conway made a major, um, slip up. And it was centered around the Muslim refugee ban when she miscited the Bowling Green massacre as a reason why Muslims should be banned from the country. It was only one very small and kind of she saw that there's never been a Bowling Green massacre. So as a result, Peter Staley and others quickly jumped on that 
and, and so you saw people pop up with never remember and, and he's making kind of light of this. And the White House spun this as alternative facts and that she misquoted. Um, I think it was just one more bizarre thing that's kind of been coming out of the White House and coming out of the uh, Trump administration. But you're right, there's so much of really kind of latch on. Sometimes it's easy just to turn it off and just yeah, it is what it is. Now that you mentioned that, I do remember seeing that, and I think you were one of those people who checked in safe during the the massacre. <laughs> I mean, it was it was quite hilarious. I mean, one of the other things that I saw across my uh, newsfeed this after, this week actually was: Did you see the the magazine coming out of I believe it was Germany, with Trump on the cover, um, basically holding the head of the Statue of Liberty? Well, I, yes, I did see that. I didn't know it was in a newspaper uh, or a cover for a magazine, but there was also one that came out of Ireland over the weekend, and it had. Bull, uh, it had uh, like a, a scope. It had the crosshairs over Trump's picture. So it's really interesting to see how the international community is looking not only at America but also at our president. True, and and then the other thing I saw was was it with the people of England were voting on or signed a petition for Trump not to visit. Yeah. So, I mean, if, uh, if other very, countries don't even want you there. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's so troubling. I know, yes, we were protesting him. Um, and, you know, I've heard from people and people say, well, you know, I'm really tired of protesting. And, you know, why do you have to keep protesting? Well, you know, my response to that is, you know, you may say that you're tired of protesting. My response, most people's response would be, we're tired of having a protest. You know, if we let up one little bit, we're going to have more stripped away. So I think that was important for us. You know, we had several thousand people here in St. Louis, but there have been hundreds of thousands across the country. And luckily, the judge late last evening decided to err on the side of the appellate court, um, uh, the lower court's ruling as far as the restraining order on the ban. Uh, mm-hmm. But what we see now is not normal. It's not. It's unprecedented. And I saw that today, General Petraeus, who actually Trump had came out in favor, had lots of great things to say. But Petraeus basically said, what Trump is doing is undermining safety and security in the entire world. So, you know, I think that we have to stay on our our p's and q's, kind of keeping him in check. And uh, you know, just try to limit the damage that he's doing. Stuff up for sure. You know, one of the other headlines I saw floating over Facebook was that um, Trump's daughter Ivanka and her husband uh, were kind of played a part in saving the LGBTQ rights. What are your? Um, do, do you know anything about that? Well, so I had a call over the weekend with Human Rights Campaign, and we were bracing for the executive order to come down, which would have been um, freedom, the first uh, freedom of religion, First Amendment kind of uh, expansions, allowing anyone to do anything basically under the guise of religious freedom or deeply held belief. So we were mobilizing here in St. Louis ahead of that. So now we hear that you know, America and had a response because they said they're liberals. I don't know whether that's right or wrong. You know, I, I tend to want to remind people that, you know, Ivanka and Jared Kushner, they're not horrible people, right? Um, I actually don't right. even think Donald Trump's a horrible person. I think that he's doing what he believes to be right. The, what's problematic with that is that it's under a white nationalist banner. Um, right. So I don't know. I. It's probably true. I think, you know, Ivanka and Jared Kushner probably did. They they have a, a historical track record of being, you know, the they lean towards LGBT. They have friends and family that are LGBT. So that doesn't really surprise me. And I even think Donald Trump uh, himself, you know, he, he did stay on the campaign trail. Well, he's talked out both sides of his neck, so you don't really 
on one side he said that he would do away with gay marriage, and on the other side he's like, it's already been settled, so you don't really even know where he's coming from. That's really the word on Capitol Hill, too, that nobody knows kind of what angle he's taking. And what is the name of this new segment we're calling? What the hell did he do this week? Or what the hell is he doing? There you go. What the hell is he doing now? <laughs> yeah, what the, we'll have to listen back and get the name of that because that's uh, I'm going to get a new segment for the next couple of years. What the hell is he doing now or something? Yeah. All right, let me, uh, let's go ahead and take a, a drop over to, to Josh and HIV Scoop, and maybe you can find a less windier area. So let's go ahead and check that out. This is your HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusive for Paws I Am Radio. Buzzworthy HIV news in under 90 seconds. Here's Josh Robbins in this week's HIV Scoop. So hello there, you sexy, sexy men and listeners. I'm feeling very sultry today, if you can't tell. It may just be a cold, but my voice feels much lower than usual. All right, here's the scoop. This week is National African American HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. And here's where we are. African Americans are still being hit harder by HIV and AIDS, according to the CDC. In a new report, they found that of more than 12,200 black men and women diagnosed with HIV in 2014, nearly 22% had progressed to AIDS by the time they were diagnosed. That means they're getting diagnosed too late. Among all black Americans with HIV in 2013, only 54% were receiving continuous medical care. Of those getting care, less than half had effectively suppressed the virus. Now, if you remember, the National HIV and AIDS Strategy has a goal of 90% of HIV patients in treatment and 80% being undetectable by 2020. So we still have much work to do. And here's a big scoop for you. Napo Pharmaceuticals, the makers of Mytessi, which is the only FDA-approved pill for adults with HIV, on art to help with non-infectious diarrhea. They're launching a new campaign called My HIV Thank You, giving those living with HIV and AIDS and their allies a venue online to say thanks to someone that helped them in their journey, which is pretty cool. More info to come surely, but as a spokesperson for Mytessi, I think this campaign is going to be pretty cool. And I can't wait to share more information about it over the next couple of weeks. I'm Josh Robbins. This is your HIV Scoop. And there you have it. Thanks, Josh, for this week's HIV Scoop. So that's kind of cool. Um, uh, the online campaign, uh, My HIV Thank You, a place for people to go ahead and, you know, thank those who have helped them with their HIV process. I think that's an interesting take on a, on a campaign. Hopefully they'll, they'll check out the community board and post some information, or maybe we can get Josh to do that. So what Josh didn't tell you, and we're going to have to jump on him, he doesn't like to choose his own horn, but this week, Josh Robbins got recognized by GLAD for the work that he does on behalf of the community. Um, and so be sure to check out um, HIV Scoop and Josh Robbins um, for his social online presence. We're proud to have him as a part of this team. Um, but yeah, we're just big shout out to Josh and, and who's you know, huge kudos. He definitely, uh, definitely deserves the uh, accolades. Yes, I, I actually I did see that come across um, Facebook as well. And uh, information to connect with Josh is on our Facebook page, our Twitter page. You can find them basically anywhere. Just go to our website, pauseimradio.com. We also do have phone lines open at 929-477-3572. We'll be taking your calls all hour. Uh, we're about to bring on this week's uh, guest. Uh, Bruce Richmond is the founder of the Prevention Access Campaign. He has launched the Undetectable Equals the Untransmittable, or U Equals U campaign, with a group of other HIV activists and world leaders, leading scientists to ensure that the most groundbreaking development in the past 20 years of this epidemic is communicated accurately and meaningfully. People living with HIV who are on treatment and undetectable cannot transmit the virus to others. It's that simple. Please help us welcome this week's guest, Bruce Richmond. Bruce, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We're excited to have you here. on. Um, it's a pleasure, yeah. Can you hear me okay? So how are you this might Sunday? Be a delay. I'm just crappy headphones. Um, you know, I'm... I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm, you know, as far as the campaign goes, I'm really I'm hopeful. As far as our country goes, I'm regretful that I voted for Trump. You know, no, I'm just kidding. That was a joke, everybody. I am, <laughs> um, I am not. 
yeah, I'm, um, you know, pretty terrified. But as far as the um, campaign, I'm, you know, it, it's it's really exciting, and I'm hopeful. How are you guys doing? Well, beautiful weather here. I'm doing. So I'm not, trying not to rub that in uh, Robert's uh, kind of face that it's uh, 50 plus degrees here in St. Louis. So I'm doing well. Oh, nice, Robert. Where <laughs> yeah. are you? Nice. I'm in Philly. It's kind of cold here, about 30 degrees, maybe less. Windy. How, where are you Brooklyn. at? I'm in Brooklyn. Uh, okay, so you're and, similar. Uh, yes, it's a very chilly and gray today, but uh, it's okay. I don't mind. Hopefully, going to get down to the down to the south soon. Um, true. So, so Bruce, let's. Um, I want to talk about the campaign. It's picking up a lot of. Uh, um, you know, media outlets are picking it up. You have a lot of partnerships with that. But I wanted to start off um, a little bit with your own diagnosis. Um, if we could just start from there and then kind of move into um, the prevention access campaign and then into the U equals U, um, just so you know how, kind of how we're heading. I just want to know, how did you find out you were HIV positive? What was that like for you when you were diagnosed? Okay. Um, I found out in 2003. And um, I I was terrified. I mean, I thought I was going to die. I wasn't I wasn't well educated about the new um, treatments available, and I had, my mind was still stuck in in the 80s when you know we had been seeing seeing people die and the, the Holocaust of our community. So I mean, I was I was terrified. I was I was working as a lawyer at the time in London, actually, and uh, the diagnosis was given to me in a very cold way. It was just, you know, the, the clinician just looked at me and said, you tested positive, and it was just quiet, and she didn't offer me any kind of resources. And um, so a best, my best friend actually ended up coming over, and I had some friends in London who, really, who were really there for me, and, um, and, uh, and I took a leave of absence from work, and basically kind of spiraled into shame for a while about my, my diagnosis and about my HIV. And, uh, for, for a long time, it, it, you know, the stigma, I, I really internalized the stigma within the gay community. Um, and just in general, I had some friends who weren't well-educated about HIV and had made some really, um, disparaging and dehumanizing comments about people with HIV. And I, I had actually was living in the closet about it. So um, it was a rough, you know, a rough time. I mean, I had a lot better than, than many of the people I work with in our, in our campaign. I, I was fortunate, but it was still, still a, a pretty brutal, a brutal time period. So what year was this? That was 2003. And I didn't go on treatment until 2010 until i got sick actually in 2010 i um i didn't want to go on treatment i didn't i didn't know that, and it wasn't well known when i was diagnosed that about the prevention benefits of treatment i just didn't want to go on drugs i just didn't want to and i was also a, a denial for me um not going on treatment meant i i didn't have to face that i had hiv um, so then I, I went on treatment in 2010 and became undetectable right away. And, but I still didn't know that undetectable meant untransmittable at that time. I just knew that this was good for my health and I literally had to go on treatment. Otherwise I would die soon. Um, and that's what, that's so, what got me so on treatment. When you were diagnosed, you talked about your friends who helped you out was, um, so you had a support group at the time. I'm assuming you had, uh, you know, people around you that were HIV positive that could give you that support. No, at the time I didn't. I didn't know anyone in London who had HIV, and no one in my life at that point was living with HIV. So, uh, but, but you know, my my close friends were, you know, were there for me, and I did have that support group, and and um, my family, um, you know, uh, was was supportive as well. I mean, particularly my. Um, uh, my mother, my father at first was not, but he came around eventually, um, made kind of some mean comments initially, but it did, they you know, came around and I did have the support from, from family and friends. And despite that support, I still was closeted to most of the world. 
uh, I was even working on an HIV stigma campaign with one of my clients and he spoke in, uh, was a famous kind of rock star and he spoke in uh, pause magazine about anti-stigma and, and I didn't even come out to him or his manager or his publicist. And, um, so I, I, I lived in shame for, for a long time. This is Aaron. That, that had to be a tough and lonely place to, to, to know this about yourself, but then not be able to, to share it with others. Can you kind of speak to, you know, being a lawyer, it's, that's one of those jobs. When I picture a lawyer, it's very, I'm going to say, I can just speak to here in like Missouri. So when I think of lawyer, it's very like the, you know, good old boy network, depending on what you're, you know, it's a, it's a boys club, if you will. So did that yeah did that impact kind of you know how you participated or, or did you think of how the others would kind of view you if they knew that information? That's a good question. I mean, I, I was only a lawyer for two and a half years and a lot of that time I was on a leave of absence. So once I was diagnosed, I left the firm and then I went back to nonprofit world, which was oh I forgot to say this. This was pretty ironic, and I guess I would call it being hypocritical, but um, then I, I ran a, a campaign raising funds and creating a campaign for sustainable development programs in uh, Rwanda and in um, Uganda for children, for, you know, children who had been um, um, orphaned by AIDS and, and women in the, the communities that were supporting them. So I was actually going to Rwanda and Uganda and interacting with communities and, you know, helping to develop income gener generating activities and set up social services and nutritional support and medical support. Yet I was in the closet about being HIV positive for, for most of most of that time. I did come out to some people. It was very powerful um, to speak to someone in Uganda who was really struggling a lot more than I ever had um, been and who was out as being living with HIV and I couldn't come out myself at that time or didn't feel I could. You know, one of the things I hear when, when you're kind of talking is that uh, for many of us when we're first diagnosed we throw ourselves into working on behalf of others and that's very cathartic um, and it kind of gets us do you, you kind of feel like that was very therapeutic for you in the early days to kind of do that? No, because that's I, I kind of been doing that since I was 16. Being, being a lawyer was like a, a departure from what I used to do. I ran a, a violence prevention program in my 20s and helped launch that. And that was in, you know, in the, in the public schools and, and urban centers. And so in sort of in Argentina and Middle East. And, and so I, I was in, I was always kind of doing, doing public service. So that wasn't, that didn't, that wasn't a, anything new for me. Um, so it wasn't really a, that wasn't really a kind of a, an outlet or, or a relief. I think um, I just, I was just kind of, it was really more about denial for me that this is, you know, just ignoring that I had the disease because I didn't have any symptoms. And just going on with my life, focusing on external, focusing on the job, focusing on getting things accomplished and being productive, which is kind of my, you know, my routine is to just focus on that, on sort of outside things. Um, and, you know, and, and always, always having a social impact instead of thinking about, well, what's going on with me internally? What is, why am I not facing this? And why do I feel so afraid of harming someone with this, what I was considering the most deadly, you know, STD in, in the world and thinking that I carry that in my, my body and my blood and, you know, and, and not having a relationship saying, you know, I was single, um, for 13 years, um, almost the entire time that I was, that I was, you know, that I've been living with, with HIV. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, and I, and I, that was, that was by design. I was afraid to get close to anyone and pass on the virus. So I just had a lot of sort of meaningless interactions with people that I didn't get get close to. No, that makes a lot I think of that's sense. A common I'm thing. curious. Yeah, and actually, I think it's very common, Bruce. One of the things that I was actually um, curious about is how you went from being kind of like uh, closeted about your status, even while working on a campaign, 
then to going to the Bruce that we see today, who is wearing the no shame about being HIV positive shirt and, you know, really putting themselves out there. How do you make that transition from one to the other? Rage. Outrage. I think it went in 2012. In 2012, when I um, learned that being undetectable meant that I couldn't transmit HIV and, you know, and that nobody else knew that. And it was, well, not nobody. I mean, it was kind of the big secret in medicine and public health and not all the information sites were saying we're still a danger to other people. And realizing that I got this information because I had a good doctor and he trusted me and he, you know, felt that I could handle this information, but other people weren't getting the information. And so I was, you know, collecting research and reading, you know, these articles. One of the seminal article for me was Mark King's article, I think it was 2014, that said, will, when, will HIV ever be safe enough for you? And uh, I get choked up about it, but it, it was, um, I just knew, I knew I had to do this. I couldn't sit with this information and, and look at these information sites and see that we were being lied to effectively. This entire community of people from all walks of life who, you know, and all around the world are being told that we are a danger to other people. And that impacts everything. And not just about the way people feel about us and puts, that puts us and in harm's way, and, and there are all sorts of injustices and criminalization were treated like deadly weapons, but it also treats us, it affects the way we, we feel about ourselves when we're constantly being told we're a danger, we're a risk, we're not clean. Um, and that's being, that was being propagated by the HIV communications agencies, ASOs, federal health departments, state health departments, um, some journalists, but it was wrong. So that just, I just, that lit a fire under my ass. And I was like, this, you know what, fuck this. I need to, I need to do something. And, and, um, and I don't, one thing with me, and I guess all my friends kind of know this is I don't like lies is that I, if I see something that, that is dishonest or is, is I, I, I'm relentless. I guess that's where the lawyer training is with me. I'm relentless. And especially if it's hurting our community and the community that I work with is so wonderful. I mean, and so diverse and, and talented and I've learned so much from them and I, I feel like a, I don't know, you know, a bear that I, I'm going to protect this community and fight for the truth about us. Um, anyway, so that's, I had no choice. I had to come out and, um, and, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's essential and I'm, I'm happy. Oh, now I'm cool. happy. This is the most important work I've ever done and the most meaningful work I've ever done. And I've done some pretty meaningful work in my life. You know, I've, like, but but this is the most powerful, and I work with incredible people. And anyway, I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but this is I, I'm glad I came out. I'm glad that I was diagnosed. I, I'm glad I acquired HIV back in 2003 because I wouldn't be where I am today, and I wouldn't be a part of this experience. That's um you know it's a lot of things that uh, that's the thing that a lot of people mimic and say that um you know they are happier now that they're positive and and something good has come out has came out of it. You know, for me, back when I started doing positive AM radio and stuff, I used to tell people that I thought it was a gift, you know, something good. It, ha- it came to me and it really woke me up and really put my life into perspective and allowed me to kind of um, view things differently and see what was important in my life. Do you feel that it's done that for you as well? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm glad I had that experience of being shamed and being feeling erased and, and isolated um, during that time period, um, because I've, I've, I've had that marginalization to some degree being a gay, white, cisgender man, but I, 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 you know, I've, I, I was able to experience that sort of that darkness and shame, but now I'm experiencing a new kind of marginalization and treat, like now I'm experiencing, you know, that the fact that, you know, we're, we're basically our, our, you know, and, and I'm hopeful. I don't want to put out a negative energy here, but there is a, a, a tendency in the HIV prevention field to treat us like uh, we're vectors of disease. And, and I think all of us use that term and that our emotional, social and sexual reproductive rights don't really matter in this field. We're basically prevention tools. So they sort of this, you know, um, and I think that um, 
it, to, to many. I mean, we, we, there's some that are really, you know, heroes that are sticking up so for us. But I, I think that, um, and we are certainly sticking up for ourselves, but that has been a really interesting experience to me, to sit across from the head of a clinic or a medical association and for him to say, look, I agree with the science. You and your entire community of people who are virally suppressed and the community who have the opportunity to go on treatment um, and become virally suppressed, they, they will become un, un, untransmittable. I agree with the science. You know, they, they'll tell me they agree with science, but they'll say that they're withholding the information, like point blank, you know, and I'm incredulous sitting there thinking, Jesus, this person is telling me they're actually lying to our community. They'll say they're withholding the information because some people won't understand that to be undetectable requires excellent adherence and that someone might lose their health insurance, become detectable um, to infectious levels and transmit the virus. And then the second issue they say, always say, is that someone that, that there'll be a rise in STIs because people living with HIV will start stop using condoms as if you know, many people haven't already. And, and it's our right to get an STI, but in any event, that's their, that's their, um, their rationale for withholding incredibly important information from us you know so um it, to 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 be treated as though you know we don't matter and that our our lives are insignificant compared to people living uh, people who are hiv negative and that it's okay they feel it's okay to overprotect the majority overprotect and exaggerate the fears about us um at the at, at the expense of our own rights of our rights of our health and and so that's been a really eye-opening experience and I and it's something that you know that 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 people of color have been experiencing all their lives and so I'm 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 glad to have had you know to have had my eyes open and it's it, I think it's fueled my activism in in many different ways um not just within within our um our, our work with with you equals you so this is Aaron again the you know I, I always like to play devil's advocate and I always like to be a realist. Um, so, you know, just to be clear with listeners, the you, even though the you equals you campaign, like Robert and I and you get it, we understand that, you know, the data that drives that was from HPTN052, which showed there was no transmission um, when one partner was HIV positive and detectable, the other partner was negative. Um, and so we understand that. What I and I would like to get your feedback on, and maybe you're hearing something different. I get a lot of pushback from individuals who are living with HIV, who just do not believe the science. And is that? Do you think that's derived from a place of it's been beaten into our head for decades that we are these weapons of mass destruction? Um, and how do we counterbalance that? Uh, you know, to get people to actually buy into the things. Well, I, I think there, 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 there are two things. I mean, um, one, yeah, absolutely. It's coming from a place of, of, of trauma and of, you know, 35 years of being, being terrified of this disease, of seeing people die and, and living through this, the Holocaust of this disease and, and condoms were a lifeboat for many. So giving the idea that people living with HIV can give up condoms is, you know, is, is terrifying to, to many. And, um, and, and I think, um, uh, you, you know, I think there's also just internal, like even for me, sometimes it's hard to believe this is real, you know, because I have, I, I, for so long, I had believed that I was toxic. And so for some of the folks that have, you know, have, have, uh, have been living with, with HIV longer than I have, it's, it's hard to shift that, that internalized stigma and to, to believe, you know, to, to move past the emotions and pay attention to reason and rational thought. So we actually, that's why we're, we're really fortunate to work with long-term survivors groups like Tez, An Tez Anderson from Let's Kick, Kick Ass, AIDS Survivor Syndrome, um, so that you know, we can understand the, the psychology better and how this can, can apply to various um, you know, subpopulations within the HIV, HIV community. Um, and I, I think that one thing that I kind of, when you're trying, we have this whole course, you know, this see something, say something course that I hope people will join or it's a, it's a program. Um, it's an S4 program. And we, we talk about how to address the various challenges to the messages. 
and and you know there you know there's there there are different you know some people just don't know the science and then you know some people don't understand the science or or don't believe the science and and one thing that that helps is you know when you're doubting the head of you know you know um you know the division of aids at nih you know when you're doubting carl diffenbach or when you're doubting you know the housing works or san francisco aids foundation or ohio i see yeah, there are a lot of or the chief medical officer of england or katie the number one uh research organization in canada uh, or the australian federation of aids i mean the list goes on and on there are a lot of ex and the experts from every single study so our consensus statement that we put together is not just based on one study it's hptn 052 the partner study opposites attract and all the empirical evidence to date. So when there, there is this explosion of support for this message and, and you know, an endorsement for this message. And so you kind of need to, to think sometimes people just, it, it, they'll come around. And it's, it's because if, if their emotions are that strong that they, they, they over, sort of override the science and the, the experts on this, very issue, then it's going it, to, you know, that's, that's really deep seated. Um, you know, it's also when you've got like a fascinating thing. I mean, you, you may have seen this as when like um, a journalist or, um, you know, a doctor from some small town or wherever, even my doctor in New York city will say, um, say something as if it's fact, like someone just recently said, well, if you're off, if you stop taking your, your medications, you'll rebound in five days infectious level so you've got to be be careful of people saying things as if they're fact that, that are not and they're kind of fear-mongering and and um and, and you know i guess it, it's it's not i guess in some ways i don't know if it's trolling if you would call it but um you know you get you get a lot of pushback and a lot of it comes from this sort of traumatized community you know, um, you know, that they that it's just it's coming from emotion. They don't want to look at the science. They won't even look at our our, our website, our FAQs, our research statements. They re, they just kind of stay where they are. And it's sad. You know, it's sad. And, and you know, they're they're You know, it's uh, they're kind of missing out on this celebration. I mean, these are even folks who are virally suppressed um, and, you know, who, who, you know, who are undetectable. They're you know, pushing back. But it's, it's sad, you know. Yeah, it, it's definitely, I think, uh, a certainly daunting task, and I think I've heard that at certain times. Just from your message, I mean, I think there can be, you know, this is a very, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Can you speak for a second about um, intersectionality and also about how this campaign has been received by um, millennials? I think sometimes there there is that, that, it, it appears to me that there is a gap, right? So you have long-term survivors, then you have newly diagnosed. How has this message or this campaign been received by millennials um, as you've been out in the field kind of working on the campaign and talking? And then, and then also, if you can speak to intersectionality, that'd be great. Well, the intersectionality part of it has been, I think for me, the, the most exciting is, is to see how the message cuts across class and race and, and gender and, you know, nationality and um, it's uh, age. And it's been, um, you know, so our, you know, the groups that, that we, we interact with are, are, are pretty much everyone. Um, we haven't had as much interaction with uh, well, no, actually we have. I, I think in the entire community of people living with HIV, um, and mostly, let's say mostly, you know, women from Positive Women's Network, um, mostly black heterosexual women have been involved in kind of promoting the campaign. And um, I would say women overall have been the most um, sort of vocal and um, and kind of, you know, you know, creating their own infographics and photographs, behind, you know, with with the slogan. And I mean, it's kind of been the the women have been leaving the way. Not to not to. Um, I don't want to insult the guys that we work with. Um, and in but it's um, you know, um, and I would say transgender, cisgender women. The males are. Um, 
don't know. I don't want to generalize. It's just, we, we have a very incredibly diverse population of people. If you see like who is posting and who is, you know, who's um, sharing the, the, the hashtag, um, you know, and I think that, you know, we try to make, we try to focus on, you know, all like our materials being reviewed by various, various groups. So, you know, um, and, and our, our main role is to kind of provide the science and then each group can kind of tailor it. Like, um, um, you know, the, the Native American Association of, um, you know, uh, AIDS Association just joined the campaign, you know, and they will be, we'll be training them on the science of, of U equals U, but then they'll know how to take that science and create a social marketing campaign for the Native American community living with HIV and uh, affected by HIV. So that's the kind of work that, you know, that's, that's our role is to kind of provide that, that core science. Um, and then, yeah, I forgot what your other question was. Sorry. It was, one was intersectionality and the other one was, well, the, uh, it, and also, yeah, I, oh, I should mention in terms of intersectionality, it's like, it's even in terms of just national origin, like we've, Nationality, like we have um, a group in Czech that uh, the Czech AIDS Help Society just translated the consensus statement into Czech to use in their criminalization work. So it's kind of like we, you know, the core, we, we have that core science and we're, we're making available this vast, you know, widely diverse, diverse network. And it's a lot of work to make sure we get the information to people. You know, I think that's, um, it, it's, it's, it's on us to make sure we get it we make it available, you know, to, to all the different groups we work with. Um, and some of the groups like, you know, like PWN USA has been a huge, huge help in getting the information out to their network and, and just, just in all aspects of the campaign, really. Um, okay, sorry, what was the other question? Uh, just how the message was being received by millennials. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, you know, we haven't, we haven't sort of done any, we don't have any kind of feedback. Um, from specific, you know, based on, on, you know, like age, I don't really even have any anecdotal feedback on millennials. I mean, trying to think, I mean, I guess the feedback, um, I mean, millennials are more, um, you know, I don't think they're as interested and in, they're excited in the campaign, about the campaign, because I don't think that, I think in many ways they don't feel HIV is such a big deal. So the fact that someone can become undetectable and un untransmittable, you know, that it's not rev like a revelation, a revolution for them. You know, I, th I mean, I guess that's just kind of my off the cuff thought about it, but I haven't really, you know, gone much deeper into it. They don't seem to be, you know, the older folks who you know, have more of a, mem you know, uh, you know, been, been through the, the epidemic, um, you know, it's, and you know, we I think we carry a lot more of the of the um, you know the 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 fear and the and the, the fear of, P, of HIV and people with HIV. Whereas the younger 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 people, I don't think they I don't think they do. What do you think? I would I would agree with that. I, I think to some degree it's just not that big a deal, right? And so we we tend to see millennials um, and. In, you know, this younger generation, but HIV simply is just not that big a deal to them. Um, if you're, you know, if you're undetectable. So I do think that's kind of been that generational shift to where previously yeah. we had, you know, fear and now we have more knowledge. Yeah. yeah. One thing I think, you know, one thing that recently just happened is I think for the younger, younger folks, we need to kind of get across how important the message is. Like I'll send a statement from the head of the international Council on AIDS Service Organizations. This phenomenal statement that she created, and a statement from Katie, this uh, research organization that said this is the most important message of the last 20 years of the epidemic, and we need to get this message out loud and clear. And all AIDS service organizations and info providers should be getting this message out to their patients, their clients, and to the public. So. I can't because sometimes I can't get it through to people's heads. Like I can't get it. They're, they're just like, oh yeah, it's sort of this complete. It's either a lack of understanding of how important it is. Twenty years ago, we learned that we would live, and now we learned we can't transmit HIV. And 
how important this is. And it's, and some folks think, I think they, they think, oh, well, that's just for people living with HIV and for your self-esteem. And I mean, that would be good enough, right? That's important enough, but it's not just for right. people living with HIV. It's actually, there's a broader impact of this, a very important impact in the field in the sense that this affects HIV stigma. It dismantles stigma, HIV stigma, which is the, the biggest challenge to the end of the epidemic. If there, if there weren't HIV stigma, people would be more likely to get tested, more likely to disclose. This would improve, you know, you know, absolutely every stage of the treatment cascade and prevent new infections. And so, it, and, and also, uh, this is, you know, a huge win for criminalization efforts. So there's, there's all these, and, and, and I think as importantly, this is a platform to advocate for access to treatment, expanded access to treatment, because the way to end HIV, you know, is the most powerful way to get end HIV is test and treat, test and treat. Um, so I think some of the younger folks are like, um, they just don't, maybe don't get it. And, but it's, I don't think that's just age related. I mean, we see that across the board. Um, even with some of the you know more established people in the field and some of the leaders in the organizations, they I think sometimes people just feel, yeah, I know this information. I've known this for ten years. You know, I know I can't transmit to my husband, um, and they're just not as inspired about sharing it with other people. You know, they just uh, they're sort of sort of sit on that information because some people aren't, you know, that way. You know, they 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 are administrators more and um you know and and so for us sometimes the challenge is to get them to understand this is important pay attention to this message help us get this message to other people by updating your website your fear-based website that's calling us a danger still you know so um there's there that's one of our our our, our challenges but it's fading you know as as more and more organizations sign on more people are speaking the truth and, and saying undetectable is untransmittable in their, their messaging online and in their trainings with their clinicians. Um, and the federal health departments will be on board soon, at least with you know, negligible risk, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I, that, that's that's going to be less and less of a challenge, the sort of complacency and, and lack, of, lack of acknowledgement of how important it is to share this information. You're right, Bruce. This is Robert. I 100% agree with you. This is so important. It's something that we should be talking about almost every show here on, on the radio and, and be shouting from the rooftops, whether you're on social media or wherever you are. It's a conversation that needs to be had in support groups and conferences and things like that. And, you know, I'm just glad that it's somebody like you who's spearheading it and, and having the conversation because it's so, so important. Uh, I just want to open the phone lines. I see a lot of people on hold. If anyone's interested in calling in, um, you can reach us at 929-477-3572. We have a few minutes left. If you're on hold and want to speak to us, press 1. I just want to jump over to the Rise Up to HIV's positive message this week. Let's play that, and we'll be back with Bruce Richmond. Hi, my name is Bob, and I'm from Walkworth, Ontario, a little uh, rural community of uh, 700 people, so I'm a, a rural POS guy. And I've been POS for 23 years now, and um, so I'm a long-term survivor, and I'm kind of proud of that, and I'm proud of all long-term survivors out there. So hi, long-term survivors. Want to want to lift my hat to you, uh, but I also want to lift my hat to to people who've joined us along the way uh, and offer encouragement and support and love, because um, I think you have real opportunities here as a person living with HIV to live the kind of life that you wanted always wanted to do um, to make a difference uh, to throw off the shame uh, to realize what you want to do uh, and and if you want to help and encourage others just as uh, Kevin is asking us to film videos to to support others um, you have that kind of opportunity too so Kevin's onto a good idea um, I think what I like about this is that it emphasizes that we are part of a community we are here for each other, we're here to support each other and to learn from each other. And I kind of like that. Um, it's an opportunity uh, that comes with HIV and I, I've grabbed it and, and, and I hope you will too. So enjoy um, being part of a community that can offer you so much and which has the opportunity for you to offer so much. Um, be well, enjoy your life, enjoy the HIV community. It's quite wonderful. There you have it, and that's this week's positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. So, Bruce, um, we got about a few minutes left with you. Um, 
people can find information on uh, the U equals U uh, campaign or undetectable equal untransmittable by going to the preventionaccess.org backslash undetectable. Correct. Everything is found there, correct? Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. We'd love people to join up. Yes, can, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we're good. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, they could join uh, also the S4 training. So, like, basically everything. I mean, there's, like, a lot of information about this if people want to become advocates, even if they just want to know for themselves or, you know, to share with their partners or, you know, family, friends, or their clinics, their doctors. This is – um it's it's called S4 and there's an application and we do trainings at least um, every six weeks and uh, we'd love people to, to join the get help us get the message out because it's going to be up to us to get the message out about us to change the narrative. Right. So what, people, uh, what, what, how how do these training take place? Where are they online? Are they in person somewhere? Or how do these people get oh, involved? Yeah, they're, if they they're, Yes, they're, they're webinars, but it can also be done over the phone, too. So there's a call-in and a webinar. And we'll, we'll, we'll make time to accommodate people. Like, we had a training on Wednesday, and then I just did another one Friday morning just because someone couldn't make it on Wednesday, two people. We really want to get people trained. So far, we have 60 people trained, 120 signed up. And the, the concept is that we will educate our clinics, our doctors, social marketing campaigns, ASOs, and bring this information to them. Because literally, I'm not kidding, no one else is doing this. Like if we stop right now, it'll, it'll stop. It'll become a trickle. And in Canada, they're doing great. Because of Bob Leahy in Canada, the KD, the research organization, is sent, sending material out to all the different um, ASOs, frontline provi providers throughout Canada. So it's really happening there. But in the United States and, and some other countries that we work with, it's it's slow. It's being driven by us. You know, Canada was successful because it was driven by people living with HIV. The United States will be as well, but we need to organize. We need to keep educating and getting information to people. There's no source. There's no central source that's doing this right now, um, except for us. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So join us. There, we've had a lot of victories and, and the challenge well, is if there is, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, Bruce, if there's, if there's anything that we can do here at the show to help you with this campaign to get the word out more, you know, we are 100% on board. Um, we, we, you know, created the one banner to show our support for the campaign. We think it's incredible. I just want to thank you for coming on uh, again and reminding people they can find information on the campaign and on you, Bruce, by going to preventionaccess.org. Um, is there any final words you want to leave with our audience? Um, I just want to, you know, thank you both for having having me on. And I think that the way to, to help out is just to keep saying it, keep saying undetectable equals untransmittable. Include it, uh, the hashtag, hashtag U E Q U A L S U U equals U in your social media because we just got to keep saying it. We can't say it enough. We can't say it enough, and and that would be incredibly helpful to us and to people out there who are living with HIV and are possibly doubting that this is that this is true. Um, please come to our website and, 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 and check it out. You've got all, all the sources. I hope that you'll need to, to feel that you, you really aren't putting anyone at risk. Oh, I guess the last thing really quick. I don't know if I covered yeah. it. Can I just quickly say that, please, we have to avoid the shaming. And, and they're, they're, the morally, the, you know, we are, we are viral divide morally neutral. And avoid shaming people who aren't able to get to undetectable or don't want to get to undetectable. They, by, by choice, you know, it, it could be a choice or it could be circumstances outside of their control. So please always remember and have a sensitivity around that, that there are access issues and social determinants that we need to address in order to ensure that everyone has this opportunity to become undetectable if they choose. There you have it. Well, Bruce Churchman, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You watching thank the you. big game? <laughs> No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Boycotting. And, uh, All right. Um, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch Gaga though uh, later on though. But uh, yeah, have a great day too. Are you guys watching the game? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the gym later. All right. All right. Thanks yeah, for having right. me on. All right, Bruce. Thank it. you so much. And I just wanted to take one quick moment um, and uh, have like a, a second of reflection. Our friend of the show here, Butch McKay, he runs the Positive Living Conference 
you know, that we've attended and spoke and at in Aaron and Fort uh, Walton Beach conference I've ever been to. Um, I, I just saw today that he posted that his uh, partner, Daryl, has passed away. So we just want to send love and light from the show to him and all of his friends and family uh, that he gets through this. And I hope that uh, I'm able to see him this year at the conference, that I can give him a big old hug. I'm sure everybody does. It's most important. We have to get this conference going this year for that. Um, I think it's important that we make sure it happens for, for Butch. He needs our love and and. I want to find a way to make that happen. You know what I mean? Really some stress on him this year. So um, what a great show. Um, again, our information for uh, any upcoming shows can be found at positiveamradio.com. You can check out the Positive Community Board there as well. Aaron, just wanted to say have a good yes, night. Sir. And I will, okay, I just wanted to make sure you were still there with me. <laughs> I oh, know yeah. we're running a little over, so... People aren't listening to us live, but we are here still, and it's recording, so have a great week. And next week, we will be speaking with Michelle Anderson Morrison, so join us. Have a great night. Join us each and every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when we bring you your weekly Dose of Hope. You can join in the conversation after the show is off air. Going on Twitter at Radio, Aaron Laxton. While you're on there, reach out to I'm Still Josh as he brings your weekly HIV scoop. And check out Kevin Maloney with Rise Up to HIV. I encourage you, if you've not already done so, please contribute to the Positive Message Campaign. From each and every one of you who contribute and allow us to bring this show to you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And if you know someone who would be interested in coming on air, or you think there's something that we need to cover, please let us know. We're here to bring content that you need and you want. From each and every one of us over at Pause I Am Radio, from myself and Robert Brining, have a safe and happy week. And until we talk again, stay positive.